Hello everyone and welcome to the Wilds Cast. Today's episode is a rebroadcast of a lunch and learn that Rabbi Wilds gave on Facebook Live. Today Rabbi Wilds discusses what it means to pray alone in the age of Corona when we're all in quarantine and can't visit a synagogue. So without further ado, here's Rabbi Wilds. We're going to be learning a little about something which is quite relevant uh, during this period of time, and that is being alone, but specifically in regard to prayer. A lot of people I've spoken to are not doing much praying, and they're telling me that they're not praying because we're not in synagogue. And I mentioned this to my class last night, my fellows. Thank you for posting the source sheet. Praying, as you will see has really nothing to do with synagogue per se. Rabbi Avi Heller, welcome, my friend. I want to thank Rabbi Avi for all of his amazing teaching, and uh, we actually just posted 10 things to do to stay strong during uh, Corona. Um, and actually, it's very relevant for this class. Avi, if you want to post in the chat, um, it was 10 different prayer ideas to improve your praying experience during the Corona time. That would really be amazing. Um, Azmi, I'm Lebanese trying to make my conversion, but unfortunately, Corona has changed my plans. Wow. Wow. Lebanese and living in Russia. It's a pleasure to have you joining us. Philip, pleasure to have you as well. Uh, Rabbi Avi, if you're able to post that, that would be so helpful. If not, we can get you that phenomenal specific 10 suggestions that Rabbi Avi uh, developed um, in order to help pray during the period of Corona. But I want to demonstrate to you that praying has nothing to do with synagogue per se. Synagogue, of course, has become the place for prayer, but synagogue is also a place where we do other things. We have our Shabbat dinners, we have our other aspects of our community here um, in MJE and in our synagogue, if you will. But praying was really instituted by uh, the Torah itself, uh, the biblical source for prayer was You shall serve God with all of your heart. Thank you, Rabbi Avi. Thank you, Yitz, for everyone else who's joining. And um, we really pray uh, in order to connect with Hashem. And you can do that without going to synagogue. It's harder because you don't have the camaraderie and the collegiality, if you will, of our friends and our peers and our mentors to inspire us with words of Torah. We don't have Chazim Beni. We don't have Yosef live to do some of his great singing. But the essence of prayer, the rabbis teach, is called Avodah Shebelev. It's service of the heart. Oh, let's see this. Um, oh, okay, different post. Thank you so much, Amy. Um, prayer is service of the heart, and the heart needs to be connected to God. The, the, the soul that exists within each and every one of us needs to be connected to its divine source. And we do that a lot through tefillah, through prayer. And of course, there's certain prayers you can only say in a synagogue, what's called in Hebrew, Tzvarim Shib Gedusha, matters of sanctity and holiness. But as you will see, the etzim of prayer, the etzim means like the essence of what it means to pray is to have fellowship, is to have that connection with Hashem. And you don't need a synagogue for that. You can do that on your own. And I believe, and I'm going to say this again and again during this, this, this discussion, um, Shalom, Holy Rabbi, to Rabbi Ezra, 
What's so, so important is that we use this period of time now to get better at prayer. So when we come back to our synagogues, whenever that is going to be, when we get back there, we'll be able to do something that we often don't do in synagogue. You know, is one of the things we don't do in synagogue. We don't adequately connect on a deep emotional and spiritual level. And that sometimes is because we have a lot of distractions. We have a lot of other things that are going around around us and that it, it prevents us sometimes from feeling connected on a very human, personal level to Hashem. And it's easier. I took a poll last night. I taught a class last night for about 20 people, fellows, maybe 15 to 20 people. And I said, how many of you guys are having a better time praying? And how many times are having a worse time praying? And different hands went up. Some people actually said it's easier for them to conjure up kavanah, focus and concentration, when they're praying without the chazin, without the rabbi, without the fancy schmancy synagogue and the pews and all that. Other people said, no, I need the structure. I need the synagogue. I need that holy place where everyone's coming together. So what I want to try to demonstrate, though, today is that praying is about your personal relationship with Hashem. It's not about synagogue. It's not about other people. In fact, Rabbi Ezra is listening to this right now. This is Rabbi Ezra's big idea. He likes to share, and I've quoted it many times. One of the reasons that we have a mechitza, to separate the sexes. Right, some people are put off by that part of um, a, a traditional synagogue, to have a mechitza. Wow, beautiful group, everyone. We've got 31 people on. Lovely, lovely chevra. Thank you all for joining. And is, is not only so we're not distracted. That's the main reason that our sages instituted a separation between the sexes, is, is that we're not distracted. We're looking at someone else over there, and of course you could still be distracted without the mechitza too, but the mechitza helps dial down the level of distraction. But listen to this, what Rabbi Ezra loves to say. It also makes you feel more alone. You see, you walk into synagogue with your significant other, or let's say you're married with children, and you come in with a family, and you cocoon yourself with your nice family, and you sit there and open up the prayer book, you're good, you're feeling nice and secure and nice, you know, you're surrounded by your loved ones. That's not what we're supposed to feel when we pray. What we're supposed to feel when we pray is a certain aloneness and vulnerability. Because in order to grow, in order to really become the best version of ourselves, we have to strip ourselves down to our very essence and our very core. And if you surround yourself too much by people who are your loved ones and are giving you that love and that support, then you can't feel vulnerable, you feel secure. And we want to actually feel insecure when we pray, because that's how we grow. And it's a little counterproductive. Also, as an act of chesed, as an act of kindness to other people, think about what's that's, what that's like when people come in with their families and sit with their families. And then someone is single, or someone is a widow, or someone is divorced. And they walk in and they're sitting alone. Their aloneness, in a purely social sense, not theologically or philosophically, is accentuated to other people. And we don't want to do that in synagogue. We actually all want to be the same when we get to synagogue. We want to be able to pray and we want to feel open and vulnerable. Now take a look at your source sheet. Take a look at your source sheet. I want to read a couple of interesting sources with you about prayer that is going to enable us to, um, I think, appreciate the alone time we have a little more of these days. Jirash Rav Similai, take a look. It's a famous passage in the Talmud. Rav Similai, the great Talmudic sage, expounded I see Rabbi Daniel Sherman just came on, uh, a friend and colleague of the Rabbi Westside Institutional, who's been such an incredible leader and doing amazing work 
for the Manhattan Jewish community, not only for Westside Institutional during this crisis. Thank you for everything you do, Daniel, for joining us. So Rav Simulai expounded, A person should always praise God, and only afterwards should he pray. It's kind of a strange thing. First of all, why does God need praise at all? Right? Our definition of God is someone who doesn't um, you know, take any pleasure or have any benefit from us you know, heaping praise onto him. Right? So why do we do all this praise? And then the Talmud says that a person should always praise Hashem before you ask for something. And that's why in the Shemona Esrei, the Silent Devotion, you have first three blessings of praise, and then you have the, um, um, the requests. Those of you who are, who are online now uh, listening to this, who, who came to my class last night on Zoom, we went through the blessings of praise. Um, and then next week, we're going to uh, continue with all the requests. But why is this? So the Talmud doesn't ask why, but it wants to know from where. Menolan, from where do we derive this idea that you're supposed to first praise God before you ask something of him. And he answers me, Moshe. We learn this from Moshe, because it's written, And I implored God at that time. God, you have already begun to show your servant your greatness, your strong hand, for what power is there in the heaven on earth? Moses is praising God. And after he praises Hashem, he asks. Does anybody know what Moshe is asking for here when he praises Hashem? What is it that he's asking for? Something very, very specific. And that was, anybody? Something Moshe was punished. Moshe was punished from not, thank you, Leah. Um, but Moshe was actually punished by not being allowed into the land of Israel for hitting the rock as opposed to speaking to the rock. I don't want to talk, discuss right now how the punishment fits the crime. It doesn't fit the crime. We discussed that actually in our discussion about Israel last week. But what this is teaching is that before Moshe asked to go into Israel, first he prayed Hashem. First he praised. He said, God, you have begun to show your servant your greatness and your strong hand for what power is there in the heaven on earth that can perform according to your deeds and according to your mighty acts. Uchtiv batrein, the Talmud continues, and only afterwards... Does the Pasuk say, does Moshe in the verse say, Let me cross and see the good land. He only asked to see the land of Israel after he praised Hashem. Why? What is the idea behind this? Now you would think, oh, when you're talking to someone, you want to butter them up. You want to tell people how amazing they are and how wonderful they are, and that's going to make them feel better about themselves and you. And then they'll be more likely to grant your request. But there's something else that happens when you praise before asking. And I learned this uh, many years ago, actually, when I was a senior in high school. And I went on a Soviet Jewry lobby trip back when, this is in the 80s, um, I used to, I got very involved with Soviet Jewry. Some of you know I was extremely involved, and that was sort of professionally the way I was going with my life. And I got all these degrees to be able to become a Sovietologist. And then they all got out of Russia and um, had to go into outreach, was forced to teach Torah to you guys. But um, what was interesting was when we went on these lobby trips, and Glenn Richter, he should live be well, he's living on the Upper West Side, he was running the trip at the time, Triple SJ, students struggled to free Soviet Jews, 
and we were going to be meeting with our members of Congress. If anyone's done this through APEC, you know that you don't just walk into the members of Congress, the congressman or congresswoman's office, and say, this is what Israel needs, or in my case, let my people go. What you do is you first start by thanking and recognizing all of the wonderful things that this member of Congress has actually done. Has actually done. Jonathan, it's great to have you with us. I hope you're doing okay, my friend. All the members, all the things that um, I, I want to just recognize, unfortunately, uh, Jonathan uh, unfortunately lost his mother. And um, it's really an honor and pleasure of having you join with us for this learning. And Shem should bless you, Jonathan, and your family with only smachot, only happy occasions in the future. And maybe if with your permission, we'll study the Torah since you came on now uh, in memory of your beloved mother. It, uh, the Torah that we study should serve as an aliyat nishama as an elevation for her soul. So you're walking into the member of Congress home, <clears throat> the congressman's office, and you start off by saying, you know, you have done A, B, and C for the Jewish community. Uh, you propose the following legislation. It seems like you really do care about the issue of human rights, right? We were trying to get our brothers and sisters, Soviet refuseniks from behind the Iron Curtain, so we were telling, so, so a member of Congress who's sensitive to human rights issues and immigration and things like that is more likely to take up your cause than someone who could care less. So you start rattling off and you're doing it as a way of expressing gratitude. But you know what ends up happening? As you are saying all these amazing things that the member of Congress has done for your people, for your cause, you're all of a sudden reminding yourself that this person cares. And then, part of the cheat sheet they used to give us when we went into the congressman's office is the power that that member of Congress has. You sit on the Senate Subcommittee for Foreign Relations. You uh, are, are, the, are, are part of the group of people that decides how much foreign aid goes to a country like Israel. And you, start, and you mention that to them also. Now, you're not doing this simply to butter them up. You're doing this because you're, mentioning, you're saying to them and you're reminding yourself that this person, A, cares about the issue. They propose legislation <clears throat> for other people like this. And B, they have the power to make a difference. And that's basically what we do when we, when we pray to God. We're not praying to God because God has a, a big ego that needs to be stroked. That's not our definition of who God is. We pray and we, we say all these praises to God because we need to remind ourselves who God is, how much God cares, how powerful God is. Because when you start realizing that this is the being, the being I'm now addressing is someone that cares about my problems and my issues and is someone that has the power to change it for the better, then all of a sudden the requests that come afterwards are very, very different. The request then you make of the congressman after you've convinced yourself of how powerful and how caring the, con the member of Congress is, all of a sudden you now are ready to ask your question and your ask will be very, very different. Daniel Wallach just joined. Welcome, my friend. And uh, really interesting, though, is why did the sages in this passage in the Talmud that we're studying from, those of you who just came on, uh, Binyamin Kohn posted uh, in the chat here um, the source that, uh, that we're using. I just want to see if anyone else is saying something. Bruce Saul, competitive human thoughts can dissuade and dilute from the truth. Isolation exposes our core defects. Excellent. Beautifully put, Bruce. Beautifully put, 
right? The idea of being vulnerable and exposing ourselves is really what we're trying to do when we pray, which is why you know you don't need a synagogue for prayer. Now, getting back to the source that we're studying, why does the Talmud use the story about Moses not being allowed into the land of Israel as the proof text, as the biblical source for this principle? The principle that you're supposed to praise God before you ask things. Why would the sages of the Talmud choose a source, a story in the Bible, with Moses that was ultimately turned down? What happened to Moshe's prayer to enter the land of Israel? God said, okay, you asked so nicely, pretty please. No, God said no. Basically, too bad, so sad, as my uh, elements professor from law school always used to say, whenever we didn't like something, he would look at us and say, too bad, so sad. God was like, no. I'm not letting you into Israel. You can see the land, but you can't go in. And it, it was difficult. Okay, but then why does, do the sages quote this story as the source for the principle that you're supposed to praise God before you ask for something? Why not quote a source of a situation in the Bible, in the Torah, where someone prayed for something, they praised God first, and they got it. I mean, all of our matriarchs, unfortunately, initially, were, were infertile. They were barren. They were un, un, unable to have children. And they all prayed to God, and they got it. Why didn't the rabbis use one of those sources of a prayer that, that was actually favorably received? This prayer was denied. This is a loser prayer, if you will. Why does God, why do our sages in the Talmud bring this up as the source for this principle of praising before asking? And the answer is very simple. And I heard this many years ago from my dear friend, Rabbi Shalom Baum, who's a rabbi in Teaneck. And he said, it's to teach us that prayer is not simply about getting what you want. Prayer is a means of connection. And therefore, perhaps our sages purposely and deliberately chose a story in the Torah of where a great leader like Moses prayed and didn't get what he wanted. Because ask yourself, what happens all those times when we pray for something and we don't get it? Did we just waste our time? Did we spend all this time in synagogue or alone at home praying and praying and Hashem is not listening? No. And take a look at what Rabbi Soloveitchik on your source sheet said. In praying, we do not seek a response to a particular request as much as we desire fellowship with God. We're praying not to simply get things. Now, it's one of the things that we do when we pray. We are praying for certain things, and nothing wrong with that. And God forbid somebody gets ill, we pray for a refuah shlema, we pray for a speedy recovery, we pray that we get our jobs back, we, get, we pray that Hashem help us and make us whole. Prayer, though, he says, is not a means of wheedling some benefit from God. That's not the whole point of prayer, just to get stuff we need. Despite our prayer, v'kabel barachmim v'ratzenet tefilatenu, says Rabbi Soloveitchik, even though we do say in our prayers, Please receive our prayers. Please listen to us. Please give us what we want. It is our persistent hope that this may be fulfilled, but it is not our primary motivation. Our primary motivation is fellowship, is connection. And you can do that home alone. You don't have to be in synagogue to do that. And I would argue, and as I mentioned, I quoted you before, Daniel, that when you're home alone, it will give you the opportunity to pray in a way you can't pray in synagogue. You don't have to worry about people looking at you and, and, and catching up and some of the kind of, I don't know, not 
always so pleasant things about praying in synagogues. The guy next to you is talking too much. He's chewing the gum. I don't know, whatever he's doing that's distracting you. So that's a very, very important idea. Now, don't get me wrong. One of the reasons we pray is to ask things from Hashem. But it's just not the only reason we pray. And something else I just want to touch on about tefillah is very important. Because we often think when we pray for something that we don't get, that God either doesn't care or he's not listening. And I remember when my kids were little, I had this situation with them. They would ask for something. Not that I'm God, but there is a little of a metaphor here. I would have or an analogy, not with me per se, but any parent to a child. And the parent says no. Now why does a parent say no? Because I could care less about my kid. I want to give him that thing. No, I, there are many times when I've had to say no to my kids, and I wanted to say yes, because I'm a mushball. Jill wears the pants in the family, so to speak. She's, she's able to say no faster than I am. I have a hard time. But you know, sometimes when she says no, she's expressing greater love than I am by saying yes because not everything is good for us. Now that's very hard to understand how praying for something like legitimate for someone's health could not be good. Of course it is. But God has a bigger plan and God has a bigger understanding of the totality of the universe and of the, the providence that God exercises over the entire world and of all of human history. God's got to work out a lot of things and our requests as important as they are and they are very important. God is paying attention but sometimes the answer is no, because for some reason it's not part of the grand plan. Now, I don't know why, because I don't know the grand plan. But I do know and I do believe one thing, that just because God said no to something doesn't mean he wasn't listening. My kids would always say when I would say no, those rare times, you're not listening. And I got used to having to repeat back to them what they asked for so they could know that daddy was listening, but he still said, no, we don't think it's good for you. And I don't know how health and any other legitimate kind of thing that we pray for that we don't get an answer is not good for us to have. I don't know. I asked this question when my mother, a blessed memory, many, many years ago got sick and passed away. And I could never know and I still don't know. But I do believe that God was listening to all those prayers that I put in. And that God cared. And that God, in a sense, Kaviyachal, so to speak, was crying along with me. I never felt abandoned by God. I just don't understand why someone so righteous and so saintly's life could be taken so early. And I still don't know. But I do have the belief and I do have the faith that there is a bigger picture to which I am not privy and therefore I can't really know the answer to that. But I shouldn't give up and I shouldn't think that God is not listening. And I would say to my kids, I am listening. I'll prove to you I'm listening. I'm going to say back to you. But it's not good for you. This is not where you need to be right now in your life. And that's a hard thing to accept. But it's no different than a child praying, you know, asking a parent for something than we, God's children, asking our parent in heaven, God himself, for something. And we don't get it. And we don't understand. But we shouldn't imagine that Hashem is not listening. So the first reason we pray, which completely applies to praying at home alone without a synagogue, is fellowship, connection. B, look at number two, under why do we pray on your source sheet, lehit palel, to judge ourselves. We're not supposed to judge other people, right? The Talmud said, the ethics of our father says, there's only one judge in the world, we're not supposed to uh, judge other people. However, 
Actually, the word prayer, every Hebrew word has a two or three letter source. And this one is pilel pei lamid lamid, which means judge. Lehit pala means to pray. We're judging ourselves. We're reflecting upon ourselves. To judge ourselves. How is praying judging yourself? Well, think of this in this way for a moment. If you open up a prayer book and you start reading these words and you're actually thinking about the words you're saying, you're supposed to ideally reflect on each and every word, each phrase or each idea. And you're saying, you know, I'm mentioning, you know, the, the, the Siddur, the Jewish prayer book composed by the rabbis, the, the sages, the, uh, the Ansheikh Nesed Agdola, the leaders of the Great Assembly. And they put together all of these values and ideas. One of my rabbis um, used to say that all of Jewish philosophy is found in the prayer book. So you're opening it up and you're, and you're saying something in which you believe. But you're not just saying it abstractly. You're saying it and then you're looking at it and then you're looking at yourself and saying, Hey, I believe in God's benevolence. I believe in whatever it is that's in the prayer book. Am I living my life in accordance with that belief? You're evaluating yourself in relation to the words in the prayer book. You're not just reading the words in the prayer book to connect with God. You're connecting with God by applying the words that you're reading to your own self, to your own life. Lehitz palel, it goes on you, it goes on the worshiper. It's reflexive. Pilel means to judge. You're judging yourself, you're evaluating yourself. And that's how prayer makes you better. Prayer makes you better because it's, in, it's an examined life. It's a reflective life. It's a life where I don't simply act and do. It's a life where I look at my actions and my doings. I, 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 I take a mirror. The sitter, the prayer book is like a mirror. And I'm putting up the mirror in front of me and I'm looking at it. I'm going, hey, Mark, how are you doing? And that's why we pray three times a day. And we pray the same stuff. A lot of people are like, this is so repetitive. How often, how can you keep saying? Because they're the same values, the same ideas. We want to know, am I sticking to them? Am I living in accordance with them? Lehitz palel. I'm judging myself. And that is a very, very important uh, aspect of tefillah. And of course, that can be done at home. That's not required. You don't need a minion. You don't need a congregation or a synagogue for that. And finally, the Talmudic definition, as you can see. From where do we know prayer? Where does prayer come from, actually? It's the biblical source, as it says, to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart. That's actually the first line in the Shema. To, to, uh, to, to love Hashem and to serve Him with all of your heart. What is the service of the heart? The Talmud asks, asks Zuhi Tzfilah. That is prayer. Prayer is supposed to be emotional. Unlike we're having a class discussion right now, which is a little more cognitive and intellectual, prayer is supposed to be more emotional. It's supposed to really involve the heart. Which is why we're supposed to tear up when we pray. We're supposed to get a little nostalgic. We're supposed to get just whatever it is that, that requires the heart to speak and not simply the mind. And um, that's why we repeat the same things again and again. I always say like, you know, you never ask like on a rock and roll song, you know, why they kept repeating the same words again. You know, she loves you. She loves you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why, yeah, 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 right? <laughs> five years? Um, why do you have to keep singing She Loves You? Again, we know, we heard it the first five times. We don't need it another 20 times. It's a song. Nobody asks that about a song. 
It's a prayer. It's poetry. It's something that's supposed to affect our hearts and inspire us to feel a sense of connection between ourselves and God. I want to mention one thing about Hebrew when we pray. Take a look at the next source, spontaneous prayer versus fixed prayer. Now, if I tell you that prayer is really service of the heart, wait, somebody was mentioning something here, oh, Tom Weiss, about, um, yeah, that if he had prayed more, God, God, would, would, God would, would have shut him down. Uh, it, the Medrash says that Moshe prayed 515 times, I think this is what you're referring to, Tom, um, in order to be allowed into the land of Israel. Um, but Hashem, at the end, said no. And that was the point we were trying to raise before. Um, so prayer seems to be something we should really engage in almost spontaneously when we're feeling it. We know we don't do that. We have a very structured kind of sense of what prayer is. Um, and that, I think, is a very, very practical thing. Because in general, in life, we don't really keep up anything that, that, that isn't getting disciplined in some way. If we're not disciplined, if we're not structured in our uh, behavior in regard to anything in life, then ultimately we're not going to stick to it. I don't think Jews would be praying today if we just said to people, pray whenever you want and however you want. You have to have a structure, you have to have an order. But within that structure and order, hopefully it becomes uh, inexperienced. I'm trying to see what time it is. I have no watch in my room here. I'm looking at my computer and I have no clock on it. Sorry about that. If anybody wants to just post the time, I don't want to just keep going going. I have a lot to say about this topic, but we'll, we'll, we'll land the plane very, very soon. If anybody wants to just post what time it is right now. Okay, so every word and syllable has a thousand effects in ways in, we cannot imagine. Even the mystical interpretations of Arizal, I'm reading in the source, source a great Kabbalist, Arizal, who made known many of the Kabbalistic intentions that are contained within the text of the Tefillah, barely scratched the surface of the meanings intended by the men of the Great Assembly, those are the ones, um, thank you, got it, 102. By the men of the Great Assembly, good, we have a few more minutes. This is very important. A lot of people are like, if it's all about the heart, Rabbi, then I'll just pray whenever I feel like it, in whatever language. I don't need to use this prayer book with all these words written by rabbis 2,000 years ago. And here's why we do. <laughs> okay, and, and by the way, that's not to say you can't utter your own prayers, in your own words, when you're feeling like it, but... We have the fixed prayer because the words that were written in the Hebrew language contain great mystical understandings and intentions within the text of the tefillah, and they barely scratch the surface of, of the intention by the leaders of the great assembly. Every word of the Shemon Esrei, the Psalm Devotion, which is the core part of prayer, is essential, and separately within the context of the entire prayer, the text was so profound, and its effects were so metaphysical and extraordinary that it could not be entrusted to poets, only to prophets. Right? If you ever got pulled into a court of law, right? why do you need to hire a lawyer? Let's say somebody sues you. You already know all the facts. You know what you did, what you didn't do. Why do you need to hire an attorney? Because an attorney is someone who is adept, first of all, understands the law, and now takes your facts of your case, puts the two together to make the best possible presentation. That's what they're trained to do. And that's what the leaders of the Great Assembly did with prayer. You and I can say whatever we want to God whenever we want, but it's not going to have the same metaphysical effect as if a prophet, someone who really got God in a deeper sense, who understood Hebrew in a much better way, 
then we perhaps do, can take our thoughts and our feelings, put them into words in a way that you and I simply cannot. And what we're supposed to try to do is, is get into and understand the words in the prayers so that we can really use them to spiritually connect. But I believe I don't have enough confidence in myself that I'd come up with my own prayer that would be able to connect me with God as much as a prayer come up that was arrived at by a great sage who was closer to the giving of the Torah, lived 2,000 years ago. Right, The Torah was given over 3,000 years ago, but the idea of them being closer, and they were prophets among the leaders of the Great Assembly that actually composed the prayers, we say to this day. And the, and the language Hebrew also has some metaphysical power, which is why I always tell my students, have a combination. Do some in English, do some in Hebrew, right? Because you want to be able to understand, you want to feel that connection, but you also want to tap into the power and the magic, if you will, of the Hebrew language and of the words that the great prophets and sages put together in the prayers themselves. And I want to end on the bottom. This is very important. I want to make this a little practical because I've been talking a lot in sort of, not vague generalities, but really more philosophy and really trying to inspire us to pray. Where do you start? What do you pray? Now, I'm sure some of you listening to this already in the practice of praying, perhaps each and every day. But I've said this again and again, start with the morning blessings. Berchot HaShachar, open up your prayer book, open up to where it says morning blessings and just start reading and make it part of your everyday wake-up routine. First thing we do upon arising in the morning is we say the Moda'ani prayer. Thank you, God, for... Moda'ani lefanecha melechai v'kayam. Thank you, God, for the king of everlasting king of the world. Shechazarta bi that you have returned to me, <clears throat> nishmati, my soul. We're thanking God that he got us up and he's giving our souls back. Great is your faithfulness. And we've spoken about that before, how we begin our day by recounting of God's faith in his own people. And then we wash our hands and then we say the morning blessings. If you're not in the custom yet of praying every day, that's what I would suggest. Wake up, so that, say the Maldani, Wash your hands, what's called the Nagel Vasar, and then do the morning blessings. Make that part of your routine. Ritualize that for your home. And by the way, when we get out of Corona, we come back to synagogue, it's the same thing. We do that. Those are not prayers we typically do in synagogue. We do them really at home. They're morning blessings pertaining to waking up, thanking God after we go to the bathroom, that the plumbing is working, thanking God that our souls are back with us, thanking God for our ability to see, to have clothing, all the things in life that we take for granted. If you look at the bottom of the page under the, pr- the structure of the prayer service, that is what's called berchot hashachar, the morning uh, blessings. And it's such a great way to start your day expressing gratitude for things we don't think about. We just fluff over. We just put the clothing on and we go. That's the first. Once you master that, I would then go to the third part, and that's say the Shema. Shema is a declaration of faith and its blessings that are surrounding it. And then, if you have more time, do the silent devotion. If you have more time, you should try to do the psuke de zimr, the psalms of praise. Uh, if you're a man and you have tefillin, put on the tefillin before doing this every morning. And this, 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 is a, this is a game changer. And guess what? None of this needs synagogue. None of it needs synagogue. All of it's supposed to be done even if you don't go to synagogue. The only difference is... In synagogue, we can hear the Torah being read publicly. We have Dvar Mishpah Kedusha, items of sanctity like the Kedusha, the Kaddish, the Baruch Hu, 
That you can't do on your own. But it's really a fraction of the prayers. The bulk of the prayers can be done on your own. And if anybody would like, we have these cheat sheets. I don't know, uh, Binyamin, if you're still watching. If you have, maybe we'll post this another time. But we send it out every week. Uh, Rabbi Shuki was, was kind enough to make up a cheat sheet. Thank you all for all the hearts and the thumbs up. I love them. A cheat sheet that has all of the prayers we say on Shabbat and all the prayers we say during the week on the pages you can find them. But that's basically the structure. Question, Jonathan Brody. Why is the prayer for going to the bathroom in the sitter and not, oh, not after Moda'ani? That's interesting because um, the prayer that you say, there are different customs as to when exactly you say it. Um, most people say it um, when they come out of the bathroom, after going to the bathroom in the morning. But uh, the, I think a lot of the prayers were designed for people when they came to synagogue and they hadn't said the morning blessings at home then they're going to say the morning blessings when they get to synagogue. But it's okay. You can just say it right when you come out of the bathroom. You want to first wash your hands in the bathroom first thing in the morning, come out and say the Al-Nitilat Yadayim blessing on the hands, and then the Asher Yatsar, the bracha of coming out of the bathroom. So that is what I had to say about prayer. If I haven't drummed it in enough, um, prayer is something we should and can be doing now during Corona. Make this as part of your ritual. The other thing I want to mention is if you can't pray with a minion, then pray when a minion would take place. So on Shabbat, MJ usually meets at 9.30. We go till about 11.30, 12. So we're telling people to pray between 10 and 11 if you can. And that way, even though you're praying by yourself, you're still praying at the same time of others. This applies, by the way, when Corona's over. Though you can't make it to synagogue for whatever reason, and you're going to be praying at home, pray the um, pray at the time that your community is praying. Um, any other questions or comments about anything having to do with prayer, having to do with corona, having to do with praying alone, or the sanctity of the synagogue? And I hope I'm not making the shul, the synagogue, um, Azriel, it's in my, not Azriel, I can't see here, Azmi, it's a pleasure. Azmi is in Russia. Um, I hope I'm not downgrading <laughs> or downplaying the importance of synagogue. Synagogue is incredibly important, and I can't wait to get back there. I'm there right now, but no one else is here. It's just me in my office. Um, but I, I will tell you that it's, um, you know, you don't need the synagogue to pray. And so my blessing to you is use this time to pray. Connect with Hashem. You never know why things are happening in life. The only thing we can do is take advantage of whatever new opportunities Difficult circumstances like Corona provide us with, and one of those opportunities right now is to connect with Hashem through tefillah. Um, tomorrow we're going to be meeting back here, same time, same place, uh, lunch and learn. I got great stuff about the Parsha tomorrow that I'm going to be sharing, the weekly Parsha, so you can go into Shabbat knowledgeable and inspired with all the great stories and insights from the weekly Torah reading. We'll, we'll do that tomorrow, Parsha discussion, like we do every Friday. Uh, Yosef Wilds, my son, is going to be doing his uh, morning meditation. He's got a new interesting one developed for tomorrow, 8.45 in the morning. And then uh, Shuki has Hasidic Insights into Parsha at 10. And then we've got uh, also um, Allison as well. And then tonight also we've got our kitchen. Just keep checking all the emails. A lot of great stuff going on. Uh, one other point here that someone is writing in, Bruce. Praying for effectiveness of your prayers and for others 
to expect the ramification, earthly situations, and after the Nashville, praying to feel is not equal to praying for sanctity. <laughs> Excellent points. By the way, last thing I'll mention about praying, you just reminded me of with that comment, and that you always try to daven for others. There's no such thing as a prayer in the singular. Almost all of our prayers are written in the plural because we don't just daven for ourselves. And the Talmud says that when you daven for someone else, when you pray for someone else, it makes your own prayers for you that much more likely to be favorably received. And that's my bracha. Let's daven for each other. And please, God, let's get all of our tefillot uh, answered. Uh, thank you all for, for joining and have a wonderful day. It's beautiful. Go out, but practice social distancing. Stay healthy, eat healthy, and remember, don't let the day go by without calling someone else who needs to hear your voice. Give them that love and the support that they need. Have a wonderful, wonderful day. Thanks for participating, everyone. We'll see you tomorrow. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Wildcast. Subscribe to our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. If you haven't already, please leave us a review on the Apple Podcast Store. It only takes a minute, and when you do, it helps others discover the show. For more information about the Manhattan Jewish Experience, visit our website at jewishexperience.org or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks again for joining us today.